0: book four chapter nine of the heavenly twins this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the heavenly twins by sarah grand book four chapter nine so time passed on changing all things greatly or with infinitesimal changes according to their nature the colors worn in crowded thoroughfares varied with the varying fashions the tint of the summer foliage with sun and rain and dust doors closed the whole long winter were opened now and left so and the young people passed to and fro thronging to river banks but lately deserted to the cricket-fields garden or wood or lawn the very faces of the street were changing enlivened by plaster and paint and polish the face of the land with the certain advance of the season the faces of france was something not to be named but visible strange and for the most part disheartening it was the old story for ever and ever all things changed always but the chime was immutable as the days grew gradually to weeks His one connecting link with the outer world became dearer and dearer to the lonely tenor. The nights that brought the boy were happy nights, looked forward to with eagerness, and prepared for with difficulty, for at this time the tenor denied himself some of the bare necessaries of life, that he might buy him the burgundy he loved to sip. He did no more than sip and therefore the tenor indulged him drink was not to be one of his vices evidently the tenor although he would not have acknowledged it held the boy was a creature apart and one therefore whom it was not fair to measure by the common standard doubtless the manner of their meeting had something to do with this idea the boy was associated in the tenor's mind with many sweet associations with the beautiful still night with the tenors far-off ideal of all that is gracious and womanly with the music that was in him and further with a sympathetic comprehension of those moments when gray glimpses of the old cathedral or a warm breath of perfumed air from the garden or some slight sound such as the note of a night-bird breaking the silence fired a train of deep emotion and set his whole poetic nature quivering to the unspeakable joy of it joy sanctified by reverence and enlarged beyond comparison by love with such moods as these the boy's own mood was always in harmony so much so indeed that the tenor thought it was then that he was himself and that those wild ebullitions of spirits were only affected to disguise some deeper feeling of which boy-like he was ashamed as their intimacy ripened there were times when not only his whole demeanour but his very nature seemed to change when he craved for dimness and quiet and when he would work upon the tenor with little caressing ways that won his heart and drew from him although he was habitually undemonstrative expressions of tenderness which were almost paternal in his quieter moods the boy would sit in the dim lamp-light on a footstool beside the tenor's chair leaning his head against the arm of it while the latter smoked and the tap 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 of the clematis and honeysuckle on the window-pane kept time to the thoughts of each long intervals of silence were natural to the tenor and it was generally the boy who broke the charm he would talk seriously then and often about his sister and was not to be silenced until he had had his say he conquered the tenor as usual by his persistence but the latter was not much influenced by what he said at first gradually however and by dint of constant iteration some of the boy's assertions became impressed upon his mind he began to believe that angelica did wish to make his acquaintance and to admit to himself that there might be a possibility of winning her regard eventually but his high-mindedness shrank from approaching a girl whose social position was so far above his own in the matter of money that is for of course the tenor had a proper respect for art he knew that to be a great artist with the will and power to make his art elevating is to be great in the greatest way and he also knew that his own gift was second to none but would she link her lot with his he yearned for some assurance he had no ambition whatever for himself but he would have toiled to succeed for her it was his weakness to require someone to work for as he was working for the boy a purely personal ambition seemed to him a vexing vain and insufficient motive for action all selfless people suffer from indolence when only their interests are in question they require a strong incentive from without to arouse them such incentive as the tenor had was in itself a pleasure to him a refinement of pleasure which might be coarsened which certainly would be impaired by any change he had however begun to make plans he was determined to go and take his place amongst the singers of the world but when exactly he had not decided as the boy declared when it came to the point he found it difficult to tear himself away from morning quest of course he would go in fact he felt he must go soon say when these drawings for his good friend the dean were finished by the way boy he asked one night what is your family name and who are your people my family name is wells the boy answered demurely my father has a little place in the neighborhood and my grandfather lives here too wells the tenor repeated i seem to know the name oh doubtless the boy observed this is a hotbed of wells's isrophile he pleaded he was nestling beside the tenor in the dim half-light watching the latter smoke isrophile tell me all about yourself tell me about the old castle in the north to which your letter was addressed tell me who you are i want your sympathy you have it all dear boy the tenor said i shall not feel that i have until you ask for mine you would not deny me this if you knew what a stranger i am to the luxury of loving i want to cultivate the power to care for others just now i don't seem to be able to sympathize with anyone for more than a moment And that is the cause of all you object to in me. But if you would confide in me, if you would make me feel that I am nearer to you than anybody else's, I believe I could be different. The tenor reflected for a little. If I were to make you my confidant, boy, would you respect my confidence? He said at last. Assuredly, the boy replied. I promise on my honor. You shall tell her yourself. The tenor ignored this last impertinence but the boy was not abashed israphile he pursued they say you are the son of an actress and some great noble man and that when you found it out your intolerable pride made you give up your profession and come and bury yourself alive in morning quest because you could not bear the stigma are you son of such parents israphile the tenor brushed his hand back over his hair has your sister heard these reports he asked yes and what does she say oh she doesn't mind she rather leans to the nobleman theory and when people of that kind i mean the nobility and gentry he exclaimed with a grin the worst of being in society is that you are forced to know so many disreputable people when they come to our house and they do come in shoals angelica being the attraction you know then we speculate angelica feels quite sure that the duke of morningquest himself is your father he was a loose old fish they say and there is a sort of family likeness between you angelica thinks you came here that your presence might be a continual reproach to him not a very worthy thought said the tenor dryly well said the boy with much candor i could not swear it was angelica's it has a strong family likeness to some of my own it has said tenor he was lolling in his deep easy chair with his hands folded on his vest and his legs crossed and now he laid his sunny head back wearily against the cushion and looked up at the ceiling it was his accustomed attitude in moments of abstraction and the boy let him alone for a little watching him quietly then he grew impatient and broke the silence is it true israphile he asked is what true lowering his eyes to look at him without changing his position is it true that you are the son of an actress and a duke probably the tenor answered anything is probable when the most absolute uncertainty prevails then you don't know who you are the boy exclaimed in a tone of deep disgust due to baffled curiosity i haven't the most remote idea said the tenor i don't believe you boy i have already told you that i will not have my word doubted i know said the boy you are always autocratic but i can't believe you don't know who you are it is incredible you would never give yourself such airs if you hadn't something to go upon and besides you command respect naturally as well-bred people do and you have all the manner and bearing of a man accustomed to good society you have the accent too and all the rest of it the difficulty in your case is to believe in the actress she was a very superior kind of actress i suspect and at any rate you must have been brought up and educated by somebody do tell me miss i am burning to know your curiosity is quite womanish boy that is quite the right word the boy answered glibly women are generous and elevated and a generous and elevated mind is distinguished by nothing more certainly than an imminent curiosity the tenor changed his position slightly and in doing so absently laid his hand on the boy's head what queer dry hair you have he said the boy drew back resentfully i wish you wouldn't touch my hair he said i know it's nasty dry hair it's a sore point with me i think you should respect it i beg your pardon the tenor answered i really didn't know you were so sensitive on the subject but why on earth do you come so close you put that remarkable head of yours under my hand and then growl at me for touching it and really it is a temptation if i were a man of science instead of a simple artist i should like to examine it inside and out the boy put both hands up to his head and laughed delighted as usual by any jest at his own expense he had moved his footstool back a little now and sat stroking his upper lip thoughtfully and looking at tenor there was a mischievous twinkle in his eyes and he seemed to have forgotten his desire to know the tenor's secret history why don't you wear a moustache he said suddenly the tenor looked at him lazily well i never did wear one he said but I could not in any case have worn one with a surplus. The boy nodded his head sagely. I forgot, he said. Of course that would have been bad form. A parson is always vulgarized in appearance by wearing a military mustache. The effect is as incongruous as a tail would be if added to a figure with wings. But tell me, do you think my mustache will ever be the color of my eyebrows when it comes oh boy the tenor exclaimed this is quite refreshing especially from you you will be quite young in time if you go on the boy grinned in his peculiar way and then got up and began to walk about the room the tenor thought from the expression of his face that he was meditating mischief but before he had time to put it into effect the big bell boomed above them striking the hour and then came the chime the boy hated the chime he said it was flat he said it was importunate like an ill-bred person he said it mingled inopportunely with everything he declared it had a spite against him and would do him an injury if it could when he was good he said it made him bad and when he was bad it made him worse the tenor had expected to hear him swear at it but oddly enough considering some of his aberrations the boy never swore his ideas were occasionally shocking but with the exception of certain boyishnesses in the expression of them he was a purist he went off now however anathematizing the chime and the tenor was almost glad to get rid of him the boy's superabundant vitality alone was fatiguing and when he added as he often did A certain something of manner to it, which was perplexing and irritating in the extreme, he left the tenor not only fatigued but jarred all over. Getty spent the interval which usually elapsed before the boy returned in making excuses for him and also in making preparations. End of book four, chapter nine.